out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen Pour myself a cup of ambition And yawn and stretch and try to come to life Jump in the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from nine to five Working nine to five What a way to make a living Barely getting by It's all taking and no giving They just use your mind Pastor Steve here, and happy Labor Day weekend to all of you. I can't wait to kick off our new series next weekend called You'll Get Through This. We'll be studying the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians, reminding us that we can walk in true joy regardless of our circumstances. This weekend, I am excited to bring to you one of the greatest pastors and communicators in the church world today. I want to welcome my good friend, Dr. Darius Daniels, the founder and pastor of Change Church, a multi-site church with two campuses in New Jersey, plus campuses in Orlando and Los Angeles. Dr. Darius is not only a pastor, but he's a, a leader, an educator, author, husband, father of two, and so much more. He has a master's of divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and a doctorate from Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California. I know you're going to love the message today. It's truly a privilege to have Dr. Daniels with us. So everyone do me a favor. Let's all stand up to our feet right now and put our hands together and give Dr. Daniels a huge church of the welcome. Come on. Yeah. Well, can we... Can we clap our hands one more time for Jesus this morning, everybody? Well, I'm so honored and excited to be here and to have this opportunity just to witness and to participate and to contribute to what God is doing here. I have so much love, admiration, and appreciation for Pastor Steve, for the friend, the big brother, the mentor he is to me. And I promise you, I just feel right at home, right here at Church of the King. I, I've been in New Jersey for a while, but I'm from, get ready, get ready for this. Get ready. Are y'all ready? I'm from Kill Michael, Mississippi. That's a real town. Now, we did some research last night because the last, popula- the last census revealed our population was about 830 people, but I got some bad news last night. We did some research it's decreased to about 600 people. No, no stoplights. One police officer. And my high school graduating class was 33 people. And to this day, my mom and dad live in the house I was raised in. It's half a mile off a road, and there's still no pavement, no asphalt on the road. I don't know, but I'm glad to be here, close to Kill Michael, Mississippi, <laughs> and sharing God's word with you. Well, hey, uh, we're concluding a series um, called Crazy, and I want to read a, a brief portion of scripture found 
in the book of the Bible named after a gentleman named Jonah. And so I'm going to read a few verses at the end of a story that this book captures about his life. Jonah chapter 4, and I'm going to read beginning at verse number 1. And it reads like this. It says, but to this Jonah seemed very, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made for himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And this is what he said. It would be better for me to die than to live. I want to conclude this series called Crazy with a topic that I want to tag to this text. I want to talk from this subject, my crazy feelings. My crazy feelings. Family, I know we just met, but I want to unashamedly admit something to you. I grew up as an ardent, enthusiastic, unapologetic, super serious supporter of wrestling. (laughs) I, I am not talking about wrestling as some amazing millennials may understand wrestling. I'm talking about vintage wrestling, real wrestling, the million dollar man Ted DiBiase wrestling. I'm about to go old school for you. Junkyard dog wrestling. Superfly Jimmy Snooker wrestling. I was a serious supporter of wrestling. And when I was growing up, wrestling initially came on on Saturday mornings. This was before Monday Night Raw and Thursday Night Smackdown. And every Saturday I would sit in front of the television watching the wrestling moves, attempting to emulate the wrestling moves on my little sister when my parents weren't watching. I loved wrestling. I knew their antics. I knew their theme music. I knew their special moves. And I assumed as I matriculated into maturity, as I entered into adulthood, that I would outgrow this interest in wrestling. I did not. But one of the things that I've realized is, although I am still from time to time a spectator of wrestling, I have transitioned from a spectator of wrestling to a participator in wrestling. I may not look like it, 
but I'm a wrestler. No, I don't wrestle in an arena with a public enemy, but I do wrestle internally with the inner me. And if the truth were to be told, everyone watching, listening, receiving this revelation from God's word is wrestling with something. But today in our time together, I want to lift up an inner me enemy that most, if not many of us are wrestling with. I know I do. And that is from time to time, I wrestle with my decisions. Am I the only one? I wrestle with, with my decisions. Sometimes I feel like I make decisions swiftly. That's impulsive decisions. And then there are times I feel like I make decisions slowly and I suffer from analysis paralysis and I'm overanalyzing everything. And I wrestle with decisions and decisions are so important. Decisions are destiny determinants. Decisions are the way we co-create our future with God. I want to let you know your presence on this planet has purpose. You're not just a consequence of a coincidence. Your parents may have been surprised by your arrival, but God was not. God strategically and intentionally orchestrated your existence on this planet. You were born when you needed to be born, where you needed to be born, and you are not born with a deficit. On the inside of you is absolutely everything you need in latent form to be exactly who God called you to be and to do exactly what God called you to do. You have a purpose and your purpose is God's plans for you. He says in the book of Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. But God's plans require our participation. We must choose what God has chosen for us. Choices matter. Decisions are important. And I've learned that whatever is important will always be difficult. The right thing to do and the wise thing to do is very often the hard thing to do. So this means family decision making is a kingdom life Skill. It has implications for our future and for the lives of others that we've been called and commissioned to impact. But our decisions are like cars. Where we end up depends on who's driving. And there is something that often gets behind the wheel of our decisions and drives them, ladies and gentlemen, and there are times we are absolutely unaware that this something is driving our decisions, and I want to identify it for those of us who are watching today, sometimes what's behind the wheel of our decisions is our crazy feelings. <laughs> Very often, people incorrectly assume 
that all decisions are made logically and intellectually. When the truth of the matter is that may not be incorrect, but it is incomplete. Some decisions we make are made logically and intellectually and based on facts and based on data. But there are some decisions that we make that are not made logically and intellectually. They are made emotionally. Thank you for the one person here that (laughs) agrees with that. Maybe somebody... (laughs) Some decisions are, are, are driven by our crazy Feelings, And I don't know if this is your experience, but in my experience, my feelings can be illogical and unpredictable and unexplainable, sometimes even indescribable. Sometimes my wife has asked me what's wrong with me and I'm like, I don't know what's wrong with me because feelings can be very difficult to nail down, describe and capture. And with something that is so fleeting and elusive and unpredictable is dangerous to put something that unpredictable behind the wheel of your car. And if you're honest, you don't have to say amen because maybe the person sitting next to you, but if you're honest, we are, there are some people who drive and we ride with that make us a little nervous. Amen. I remember the first time I let my son, my oldest son, I remember the first time he started driving, he got his license and I go to school to pick him up and I, I and I, you know, I, I want to do for him what my dad did for me. And I'm like, okay, do you want to drive home from school? He's like, yes, he, he want to drive home. And I'm sitting in the passenger side. I'm digging the scene with the dad lean, whoop, whoop. I'm just trying to be cool, calm and copacetic. And The whole time I'm praying in the spirit and saying, God, please get me home safely because (laughs) because it's really difficult to be comfortable and have security when someone is behind the wheel that may behave in a way we can't predict. And I'm not saying, please don't mishear me, I'm not saying that our emotions are evil. They are a gracious gift given to us by God. I'm simply saying our emotions are imperfect. And because our emotions and our feelings are imperfect, it is okay to have feelings. But the issue is we should not let the feelings have us. What does that mean? It means our feelings should be indicators, not dictators. It, it, It means that our feelings should ride in the car of our decisions, but we should not let the feelings drive. In other words, we can't control how we feel but we can control how we respond. And I believe for those of us like myself who want to try to do a better job at that, there's a story found right here in the book of Jonah that can help us with this. Jonah's story is an example of an individual who allowed his feelings 
to drive his car instead of riding in his car. We read the final portion of Jonah's story in Jonah chapter four, but it begins in chapter one where Jonah receives instruction from God. God says to Jonah, I want you to leave where you are and I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to speak a message to them that's going to cause them to change their behavior so I can change their life. And Jonah receives this information and he becomes upset. He gets in his feelings. The prophet gets petty. And this is why it's because Nineveh was the capital of Assyria and the Assyrians had a history of being hostile toward Jonah's people. So Jonah is feeling fear. I think Pastor Steve talked about that in this series. Jonah's feeling fear because he feels like God's instruction is putting his well-being in jeopardy. He's probably feeling offense. He's probably feeling anger. And Jonah has to make a decision whether or not he's going to allow his feelings to drive his choices. And being the anointed appointed, assigned, prolific, profound, powerful prophet of God that Jonah was, Jonah did not do what God said. (laughs) This is what (laughs) the Bible says happened. It says Jonah leaves where he is and he goes down to a ship port in a place called Joppa. He goes down to a ship port in a place called Joppa. Everyone say down. He goes down to a ship port in a place called Joppa because whenever we allow our feelings to drive our decisions, no matter what direction we go, we're always going down. So he goes down to a port in Joppa, listen to this, and he pays a fare to hop on a ship that's going in the opposite direction of the place that God sends him. Now, if he'd gone to the place God sent him, he would have went for free. (laughs) But because he goes in the opposite direction of the place God sends him, he has to pay a fare. Because whenever we allow our feelings to drive our decisions, it will always cost us more than we want to pay. It may cost us time. It may cost us relationships. It may cost us resources. It may cost us energy. So Jonah gets on this ship with some merchants who are transporting cargo that they're going to exchange for currency once they get to Tarshish. So while they're on the ship, the ship is sailing. The scriptures say all of a sudden the wind starts blowing a little bit. Then the wind starts blowing a little harder. Then the wind starts blowing violently and Jonah is in the ship, sleep. The sailors are scared. Jonah is sleep. The sailors are dealing with the storm while Jonah is sleep. The sailors are dealing with a situation that's a consequence of Jonah's activity. But instead of Jonah, Helping them deal with the situation, Jonah is asleep. You don't have to answer me. It's just a rhetorical question. But have you ever felt like the people who are responsible for some of the wind blowing in your life are people 
who are on the ship sleep. Have you ever felt that like, wait a minute, the only reason I'm dealing with this is because of what's transpired but you, with you, but I seem more interested in fixing the problem than you do, but you caused the problem. So I'm dealing with a sinking ship while you are asleep. Jonah, sleep because when your feelings drive your decisions, you become inconsiderate of how your activity impacts other people. So the ship starts taking on water, right? And it begins to sink. So they come up with a plan to say, let's take our cargo and throw it overboard. Now remember, this is the way the men who were sailing the ship We're going to make a living to transport the the cargo from Joppa to Tarshish. So they have to throw their values overboard to keep Jonah on. The storm does not cease. The ship keeps taking on water. So they go through this this practice that was cultural during those days of casting lots. And the lot falls because they're like, okay, this is not a normal storm. This is a supernatural storm. And the lot falls on Jonah. And then all of a sudden, Jonah gets the revelation that he's the problem. And he says, okay, now that you've thrown everything overboard, I'm the problem. Why don't you throw me overboard? Now, here's my issue with this. It seems noble, and to some degree it is, for Jonah to finally take responsibility for his issue. But here's my problem. You have a grown man asking other grown men to throw him overboard. I'm like, you're a grown man. You see where the edge of the ship is. Why don't you just go there yourself? (laughs) But, but this is what I learned. I think it's a great relationship principle. Dr. John Townsend writes about this in his book, how to have difficult conversations. And this is what he says. He says that the people who are responsible for causing problems in other people's lives rarely wake up one day and get the revelation that they need to take responsibility for those problems. So instead of, am I making sense there? Yeah. So instead of waiting for someone else to get the revelation of how their activity is adversely impacting us, he says it's important to draw a line in the sand and at some point make people who haven't been responsible be responsible for what they're responsible for. In other words, some of us have some things we need to return to sender, and that is responsibility for people's own actions. That's not being selfish. That's not being inconsiderate. Dr. Townsend says that's being a good steward of your life and your responsibility. He says it means we go from being enablers to empowerers. So Jonah gets thrown, uh, he, thrown off the ship. He gets swallowed by 
a whale and while he's in the midst of this traumatic experience with the whale, the Bible says, you know, what happens to him happens, you know, what happened to him happens to most of us. When we get in whale-like situations, we get super spiritual and super serious about our spirituality. God, if you get me out of this, this time, I promise you, I'm coming to Church of the King every weekend for the rest of my life. And so he gets serious and he gets spit out of this whale. He goes and shares a message that God tells him to share. Listen to this, everybody. And it works. The people listen. They change their behavior. Everybody should be happy. But when we read Jonah chapter four, we see Jonah was not happy. That's crazy. You speak a message. They listen. They do what you say and you're upset. And the Bible says, we read it together, that Jonah was angry. He's angry. And watch this. And he, allow his, he, he allows his feelings to drive his decisions. In the first three chapters, his feelings drive his decisions in terms of what he does. In chapter four, his feelings drive his decisions in what he says. We read it together. He starts saying irresponsible things. I just want to die. It's better for me not to be alive. It's, it's so powerful because, listen to this family, he's been productive, but he still doesn't have peace. He's been successful, but he still doesn't have sanity. He's been helpful, but he's still not happy. What does this teach us? It teaches us something very powerful, that standard of living and quality of life are not the same thing. Why? Because, his, because the quality of our life is greatly determined by the condition of our soul, our emotions. I'm telling you, happiness is an inside job. Joy is an inside job. Peace is an inside job. Am I making sense so far? It's, it's interesting. So he's in the middle of this state. He's allowing his emotions to drive what he does and to drive what he says. And God does something that's so powerful. God asks him a question. He says, why are you angry? Now, I would think God would have said something like, you shouldn't be angry, which would have had a point. But God asked the question, why are you angry? And I think the fact that God asks that, quest, asks that question is showing us something about the first step I think many of us could take to move from letting our emotions drive our decisions to just letting them ride in the car. It's, it's, it's I think, a key and critical and catalytic step. He asks him, why are you angry? What is he trying to do? God doesn't ask that question because God doesn't know the answer. God asks that question because Jonah doesn't know the answer. God doesn't ask that question because God's trying to see something. God asks that question because he's trying to get Jonah to see something. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get Jonah to move into self-awareness. In other words, Jonah, 
Your emotions will never be eradicated from your life. There will always be things that offend you, that upset you, that that cause you to fear. That is what it means to be human. You will always have emotions. He says, but in order to cause them to cease from driving your decisions, Jonah, I want you to be aware of them so that you can manage them because you cannot overcome what you aren't aware of. Says Jonah. In other words, Jonah, I'm asking you a question that I want you to learn to ask yourself. In other words, he says, I want you to unpack your feelings. Why are you angry? Why? Because if I would have had a box up here and I would have had anger on the outside of the box, I should have thought about that earlier. But anyway, um, <laughs> if I would have had a box, anger on side, outside the box, if I would have opened up that box, I would have to pull out another box. Because anger is never an empty box. There's always something inside of it that you're also feeling that's causing the anger. And when God asks Jonah, why are you angry? He's teaching him to unpack the boxes. To ask yourself these kinds of questions. Because there were some things that Jonah couldn't see. Jonah was angry, but there's some things he couldn't see. Jonah could see his anger, but he couldn't see his arrogance. And if he would allow God to help him unpack the emotions, he would have saw, I'm not just angry, I'm arrogant, because I feel like I know how things should have gone. I feel like I know better than you, God. Jonah, he, he could see his arrogance, but he couldn't see his... He could see his anger, but he couldn't see his arrogance. Jonah could see his anger, but he couldn't see his entitlement. He couldn't see that he felt entitled to grace that he did not want God to extend to others. I don't know about you, but I struggle with that. I struggle with that too. I love grace when it comes to me. I struggle a little bit with grace when it comes to those that hurt me. And Jonah felt entitled to grace himself that he didn't want to give to others. It's like, dude, you just ran in the opposite direction of God. You got on a ship. He spared your life. You got swallowed up by a whale. You should have been chewed to pieces. I mean, when you look at the grace that God has shown you just in the first three chapters of this book, you should be excited that God is showing that grace to others. But Jonah felt entitled to grace that he didn't want to extend to others. And Jonah could see his anger but he couldn't see his bitterness. There are a number of different definitions for bitterness, but here's the Darius Daniels definition for bitterness. Bitterness is a heart with a scab. The Bible calls it hard-hearted. It is a person who has been emotionally wounded in the past, who did not properly grieve that wound did not take the first step to emotional healing, which is forgiveness, and receive the healing ministry of the soul that can only come from a relationship with God. See, you can take pain medication for a headache, but pain medication does not fix a heartache. Only God. And Jonah couldn't see, bro, you, you un, you're not healed. Just because you're not in pain doesn't mean you're still not hurt from that. 
He couldn't see it. What does this teach? It teaches that spiritual growth isn't just about learning more about God. Spiritual growth is also about learning more about me. That when we grow, we don't just get to know God better. We get to know us better. So here's the question, because I'm a pragmatist. I'm just practical. And so here's the question I think we need to answer before I take my seat in is this. How do we see the things about us that Jonah couldn't see about himself? And how can we see it before We've got on a ship going in the wrong direction, paid a fare that we didn't have to pay, cause other people to throw their values over to keep us on board, cause ourselves to go through seasons where we've sat in the belly of a well for three days. How can we live life in a way where we can see these things about us that Jonah couldn't see about himself so that we unpack these feelings and make sure we keep them in the passenger side of our car and not behind the wheel. I want to give you three practices I see here in scripture. The first of which is this. We must consistently perform internal assessments. I still believe no one knows me like me and no one knows you like you and no one knows what we're feeling like ourselves. And it's really important, I think, to take inventory each and every day of where am I emotionally. Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy uh, Leadership, talks about this practice of naming and taming. Just every now and then being like David in the Psalms and being honest about how you feel. And most people are honest about how they feel because they're judging themselves about their feelings especially when they're believers. They're like, I'm not supposed to be mad, so I'm just going to act like I'm not mad. And I'm going to talk to God about everything but my madness because I shouldn't be mad. I feel guilty about being mad. And God's like, when are we going to talk about the fact that you're mad? Because when we deal, when you talk to me about your madness, we can deal with your madness so that you're not mad anymore, so that you're really happy and not acting happy. Instead of being mad and saying you're happy, you can say you're happy and really be happy. Internal Internal assessments. Number two, external evaluation. What does this mean? It means in addition to assessing ourselves, we need trusted voices in our life that will give us their perspective about what they observe about us so that we are not limited to the limitations of our own blind spots. This is, this is one, one of my favorite books of the Bible is Proverbs. And this is what um, Solomon says about friendship. Really powerful. He says, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. This is the Darius Daniels commentary, exegetical commentary on that verse. A friend loves you enough to hurt your feelings if it will salvage your future. We need people in our life who will tell us the truth. Say, man, you're incredible. You're gifted. God's going to use you, but you're kind of moody, bro. Does that make sense? It's like, are you kind of rude? Or, you, or you're so nice, you're so giving. You're so nice and you're so giving that you let people exploit and take advantage of your generosity. We need people in our life to do that. 
And last but not least, we need unyielding investigation. Anything that is important will be hard. And we must make a decision that we will be relentless, tenacious, and unyielding in our commitment to not only have a healthy spiritual life, but to also have a healthy emotional one. And sometimes it takes a lot of digging to get to the bottom of what's driving you. You know, I talked about my oldest son. I'm done. Um, But my youngest boy, every time I talk about him, I get teary-eyed because there were about four years of his life that were a blur to me. I was so driven. I was getting a doctorate degree and traveling the country speaking and just overcommitted. And then through a series of events, I, I became aware of how I was at his games, but I wasn't there. And I couldn't understand why did I keep making these decisions to keep overcommit and to put work in front of family and all of these things. And I didn't realize what was driving my decisions. And I had to keep digging and digging and digging to get to the bottom of it. And I saw I was using work for affirmation and not working from a place of affirmation. So I could read all the books on decision makings, but until I did the digging and got to the root of my issue, I could not change my behavior. And those are four years of my son I can't get back. Thank God he's redeeming this, this, the, the latter part of this season. And but there's something great God has for you and you and I. And, I'm, and if you're like me, you don't want to miss it. So, Father, I thank you today. that you're getting behind the wheel of the car of our decisions and you will drive us to your destiny and your plans for us. Help us to take our hands off the wheel so that you can place your hands on in Jesus' name.